Romans chapter 10. Title of the teaching tonight is Jesus. Oh, what a beautiful name. Romans 10. And I'm going to read verses 8 through 13. And I'll just kind of put this in the paraphrase as I read some of the King James Version here. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is to say, the word of faith, which we preach. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart believeth, with the heart Man believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus, oh, what a beautiful name. Let's again have a a word of prayer. Father, thank you that again we can break the bread of life, speak to all of our hearts, encourage us tonight as we look into the word of God and see how beautiful and how powerful the name of Jesus is. This we pray in his name. Amen, amen, amen. Names definitely are characteristic of one's culture. <clears throat> And they designate what is or is not believed by the people who give those names to individuals. There are some names that are not popular at all. We know that. It's rare that you run into someone by the name of Judas or Jezebel. Benedict is not even as popular as it may have once been because of the one who bore the name Benedict Arnold, who was considered a traitor. In ancient times, it was common for individuals to have more than one name, two names. One name in Egypt was called the beautiful name, a sort of nickname. And then they had the regular name that you used to get someone's attention. Everybody doesn't always name children in the same way. Some people wait until a week after a baby is born before they choose a name, but generally... If people are choosing some kind of specific designation, it may be a, somehow attached to a family member, or maybe the circumstances of the birth. Consider the Native American Indians. Uh, they have several names throughout their life. Most of us have heard of Chief Sitting Bull, but what we probably did not know was that that was his name in his adult years. But as a child, his name was Jumping Badger. Native American Indians had a tendency to name kids in different seasons of their life according to what it was that they were doing. And last names, as a rule today, are not as, or I should say, do not have as long a history as you might think. In fact, in the Middle East, when you talk to people, the last name tells you very often what village they're from. So when you hear people talk about the Ayatollah Khomeini, Khomeini represents the village he was from called Khomein. 
the guy who is the head of that radical Islamic state in the Middle East that ISIS governs, Imam Baghdadi. Baghdadi being the last name represents the city of Baghdad in which he was raised. So names have meanings. And even when you think of the names that you have in here tonight, there are specific meanings to them. The, the name John, to take for example, means God is gracious. You take two names like Lori and Loretta. They come from the word that means laurel tree, a symbol of victory and honor. The name Jody. Oh my, that is the feminine version of the word Joseph. Take the name Jennifer, which comes from old Cornish origin and means white enchantress. Wow. And take the name Mark, which, what did we put here? May he soon be forgotten? What, what? No, no. Mark. The name Mark, it means warlike or consecrated to the god Mars. Names have all kinds of meanings, and when we take the time to think about them, in ancient times, apart from supernatural visitations in which names were given, people sometimes agonized over these names because they wanted it to be specific. It was believed that names conferred strength and the people who bore the names wanted to live up to the names or sometimes beyond the circumstances of the name. You remember the child that was born in the book of Samuel, I believe, when uh, Eli was on the, the, almost the throne as the head of the priests. He had two sons. and The sons were wicked. They were bad. And God had prophesied to this family that bad things would come to them because they were taking advantage of the people. And you remember how they were sleeping with the women in the church and doing all kind of wicked things. The prophet said bad things are going to come. People are going to die. Because of a war, the Ark of the Covenant had to be taken in the midst of the battle. And when it was taken into the battlefield, the adversaries confiscated the Ark of the Covenant and Eli's two sons died. The runner went back to the tabernacle to, to tell Eli that his sons died and the Ark of the Covenant had been taken. When he heard that, he said Eli was a very big man, a fat man, and said he fell over and broke his neck. He was over the age of 90, I believe. But when word came to the wife of one of the sons that died in battle, she was pregnant. She went into labor. When she gave birth to the baby, they brought the little baby boy to her. And the scripture uses these words, she regarded him not. When she heard the ark was taken captive and her husband died, she didn't even want to hold the baby. But when she named the baby, she named the child Ichabod, which in Hebrew, Echavod, means there's no glory. Imagine having a name like that. And being raised with that name. And whenever somebody called your name, it rehearsed and rehashed the circumstances of how you were born and how your mom didn't regard you. There are many people in this world that have had to live down 
bad names because of the reputations of people. But I'm telling you, regardless of what your name might be or the history of your name, you can still serve God and you can establish a firm reputation for it. So names are powerful. Paul uses the Hebrew and the Greek description to define the word Lord in its connection with Jesus. A Lord is a person with authority and power and control. Scripture says in Luke chapter 8, Jesus was Lord over the storm. He was on a boat. And in the midst of the rain and the wind that was blowing and the waves that were crashing against the ship, they went and they woke Jesus up from sleep. Imagine that. They tried everything they could to get the water out of the boat, but they couldn't do it. Finally, the bright idea came to them. Let's wake up Christ. He's on board. And Jesus woke up from a dead sleep with all of these men screaming and yelling, Master, don't you even care that we're dying? They were soaking wet. Their hair was sticking to their faces. Jesus gets up and walks to the top of the ship. He rebukes the wind and the storm. And the Bible says the mighty calm came. They said, what kind of man is this? Well, if Jesus is Lord over the storm, then he's certainly Lord over every problem in your life. The scripture says also he was Lord over demons. Remember Mark chapter 5, a man full of the devil lived in the cemetery. And he was driven out there by those demon spirits away from everybody. And with sharp stones, he would cut himself and bleed. And the Bible says when Jesus came in that area, those devils ran into the presence of the Lord and said, don't torment us at this time, and Jesus said, come out of him right now. And those demons left the man. Well, if Jesus is Lord over devils, then he's Lord over every situation in this world. I don't know if you've ever seen a demon-possessed person. It's not pretty. People foaming at the mouth. People screaming and yelling. I recall going to preach at a church and the pastor and I pulled into the parking lot in his little truck and a lady came running out of the church out to where the truck was at and that pastor put his head on that steering wheel and he just groaned because he knew when he saw this little young lady that it was going to be trouble. He just, all I heard him mutter was, I don't feel like dealing with this this morning. So the lady came around to his door he didn't open it. She came around to my door. I was getting out, had my Bible, and she was screaming and grabbing on my coat jacket, asking me, am I the preacher? I said, I am. She said, I need deliverance. I need deliverance. Can you help me? I need deliverance. I need deliverance. Well, this, this young lady was a drug addict, and she was a prostitute who was being used by the drug dealers to take care of debts that were owed to them and so on. So I got into the church and I told her, I said, you, you just, I'm going to preach first. And then after I preach, I'll bring you down. We'll pray for you. And the whole time I was preaching, she could never stay in one spot. She was up and down the aisle, walking through the back of the church, all over the place, just shaking and doing all of this. And it was a distraction to the people in the church. They could barely listen to anything that I had to say because everybody's worried about this young lady. Well, when I was done, I said to the congregation, and I told this little girl I'd pray for. I said, little girl, she's probably 23, 24. And, and so I brought that girl down the aisle in the congregation. They were just looking. I mean, they'd never seen anything like this on a Sunday morning. I brought that young lady down. And in front of everybody in that congregation, I said to that lady, I said, I want you to scream Jesus as loud as you can 
when I count to three. Well, I counted to three. She tried to say, geez, she couldn't even get it out of her mouth. Those devils were in her so strong. And she just started screaming and shrieking in the service. And so I said, get down on your knees. She got down on her, on her knees, and I had her lift her hands up. I brought some of the ladies down from the church to stand behind her. I had an idea of what was about to happen. So they came and stood behind her, and I put my hand on the top of her head, and I said, you foul, unclean spirit, come out of her right now in the name of Jesus. Well, when I did that, she just kind of gasped fell on her back, and then the lady stood around her and began to pray in the spirit. I said, keep praying. I said, in Jesus' name, come out of her. Jesus' name, come out of her. She's laying there shaking, and she's convulsing. Well, when it was all over, we got her back up on her, her, her knees, and I said, I want you to shout Jesus' name as loud as you can. The Bible says, whosoever call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, you need deliverance you're talking about? I said, I want you to shout his name as loud as you can. And I'm telling you, just a roar came out of her. She started worshiping God. She started crying in the midst of that place. And the people in the church were just weeping and crying. They'd never seen anything like it at all. And God took a little girl that was a drug addict and changed her life inside of about 15 minutes. Yeah. She said those voices in her head were telling her every day to commit suicide. They were telling her to do unspeakable things. But in a moment, the Lord changed her. So the scripture said, the Lord is Lord over demons also. But we know he's Lord over disease. You cannot properly speak of Jesus as God apart from acknowledging the fact that he rules all of his creation. And if he's the maker of it, he rules it, that means he superintends it down to the smallest of details. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 says, if two sparrows are sold in the market, you need to know that if one of them falls to the ground, God knows about it. God has every hair on your head numbered, and he cares that much about you. You are so much more important, as the scriptures say, are you not more valuable than birds? Now think about that. I like animals just like you do, but you need to know you're of much precious value to the Lord. You mean more to God than a sparrow does. It's not a crow or a raven or a fowl of the air that Jesus came down here to redeem, but he climbed on the cross for people with souls. In medieval times, the word Lord was used to designate a man of high rank. So we've heard of knights, you know, shining armor. These were people who accomplished great feats. These deeds very often became legendary, but they pale in comparison to the works of Jesus. But in exchange for their military service, oftentimes soldiers were given land. And over that land, they became Lord. And all of the business related to those lands fell under their lordship. So it's a scriptural term. Definitions of words certainly do change through time. We know that. If 500 years ago you would have said to someone that they are cute, you would have been saying they were bow-legged. But if you tell somebody they're cute today, that means something about their countenance. There's an attractiveness about them. Further back in the book of Genesis, when Sarah called Abraham Lord, as 1 Peter 3, 6 says, she was not saying he is God. It's also a word that means sir or mister. She's being respectful. It was that kind of relationship in the Middle Eastern world. 
Now, Abraham's name is loved by millions of people today. The Jews love him. The Christians love him. The Muslims love him. He was a patriarch, a man of faith, obedience, and vision, and patience. He trusted God to do many things for him in his life. But yet, even though he's so important to Christianity, you cannot pray in Abraham's name. Nothing would happen. To pray in Abraham's name would be no more significant than if we prayed in Brendan or Aubrey's name. Or if you prayed in Daryl's name, it will do absolutely nothing at all. But the name of Jesus is powerful. Some of you probably heard of R.W. Schambach. Schambach for years traveled across this nation with a tent preaching the gospel. But he tells the story of how for over 30 years he supported a missionary in India in the Muslim area of India. And he said that missionary sent out a newsletter one day saying that he had been there 30 years and had never seen one Muslim come to Christ. Schembach said, what in the world are we sending all this money there for if he's not reaching anybody? So Schembach worked with this missionary and others and set up a big, huge crusade. Thousands upon thousands of people came and Shambach said he got up and he preached and he said when he gave the call, he said not a person responded to the call salvation. Nobody, not a hand went up. Nobody came running. It was a bad deal. But he said he remembered the Bible said these signs shall follow them that believe. So he said to that Muslim crowd, he said, I'm going to pray for some sick people. And he says, if Jesus does a miracle, you know that he's God. If he doesn't do anything, the meeting is closed and I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm getting on a plane and going home. So he brought up someone that was there that was crippled, another one that was there that was deaf and mute, unable to speak, and the third one that was unable to see. Brought him up on that platform for thousands of people to see. And he prayed for the first two. And the first two were healed instantly. Well, before he prayed for the third one, he said, I'm going to pray in the name of Muhammad. He said, now, if if Allah heals this infirm person, then you know that Allah is greater than the God I've been preaching to you today. So he prayed in the name of Muhammad. Nothing happened at all. He said, now, again, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. And when he prayed in the name of Jesus, the blind person's eyes opened up and started, they started screaming. And the crowd went crazy because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He couldn't get off the platform fast enough as they were rushing forward to get to him because they wanted to know Jesus. His name, folks, his name is powerful. There's religion all over this earth, but there never will be anything comparable to the name of Jesus. It envelops all the names that we commonly associate with God. In Genesis 17, God said to Abraham, walk before me and be perfect. He said, I am the almighty God. Hebrew means El Shaddai, almighty God. Well, that's what Jesus is. Even when he was raised from the dead, Thomas looked at the Lord and said, my Lord and my God. The scripture uses the phrase to describe the Lord, El Elyon, God most high. What happened to Jesus when he went to the right hand of the father? He was given a name above every name. He's called Jehovah Nissi which means the Lord is my banner. You know what a banner is? That's like a flag that waves back and forth. 
But that word also means a sign. Scripture says these signs shall follow them that believe. Every time Jesus saves a soul, every time Jesus heals somebody, every time somebody prays through and is baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's the Lord bringing forth signs and wonders. The banner is waving throughout the earth to let people know that he's still God. But what about when we say Jehovah Ra'i? Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Have you ever needed guidance? We all have. I remember the story of a man who was a visitor to the White House back when Abraham Lincoln was president during the Civil War. The man tells the story. He said one night he woke up and he heard these moanings and groanings from outside of his room. So he walked down the hall and he looked. He said in a room there with the door just cracked so he could see in there just a little bit. He saw the president down on his knees with a pillow right there in a chair And he said he heard Mr. Lincoln praying and he was saying, Father, you've given wisdom to Solomon and to others who guided their nation. He said, in the midst of this war that we're passing through now, I need your help. Even as a sinful man like myself, I need your help. You know what that man was saying? Lord, I need a shepherd. I need guidance. Folks, don't ever think you'll come to a place in your life where you don't need God. The moment you begin to believe your life is better without God, you're in trouble. You need him to guide your steps. You need him to control your thoughts. You need his mind. You need the mind of Christ in order to do the works of God. We say from Exodus 15, 25 and 26, the Lord is Jehovah Rapha. He's the healer. We know that. Ezekiel chapter 35 says that he is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. So the Bible says that wherever you go, the Lord will be with you all the way, even to the end of the world. You know what omniscience and omnipresence and omnipotence mean? It means God is all powerful. He knows all things and he's in every place. Folks, you get into a submarine like the sailors do and spend three years beneath The earth and beneath the ocean, I should say, God is there with them, even with the chaplain that serves on board. Somebody gets on some kind of a a rocket, heads up into space, ends up in a space station for two or three years. I'm telling you, God is up there in the midst of that. You climb up in a treehouse with your kids and sit down and read a story to them. The Lord is in the midst of that place because he's called Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Psalmist said, where can I flee from the presence of the Lord? If I take the wings of the morning and fly away, he's there. He said, even if I make my bed in hell, behold, the Lord is there. You know, the most disturbing thing about hell, to me, it's not the idea that somebody's going to be tormented in flames of fire. It's the fact that I'm in hell and I know there's a God and I can never get to him. That would be the most painful thing. To know the reality of the fact that he exists. But here am I in a place where I never get to him. We say that God is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. We do everything we can to be righteous on our own, but it doesn't work. The story of Adam and Eve is important. Adam and Eve sinned. And before they sinned, even though they were unclothed, they had no idea in their innocence that they were even naked. But once their eyes were open, they perceived that I'm not supposed to be like this. And they made fig leaves and covered up their shame. That's mankind today. 
They don't want to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. They don't want to live according to the Bible. And the way they treat their sin, their guilt, and their shame is by fabricating the works of their hands to make them feel better. It's a fig leaf belief. And if you're here this evening and you try to be righteous on your own, you say, I'm just as good as anybody to go to church and I don't go to church, then you're nowhere. Because to be as good as me is to be nowhere. To be as good as your neighbor doesn't mean anything. The Bible says never measure yourself by other people, but you measure yourself by God. Are you as good as he is? The Lord becomes your righteousness. He's the one that stands in the presence of God in your place, having borne your sins. And if there's any perfection in this room today, and there is, it's only because of Jesus. It's not because of me, not because of you. You may be a very nice person. But being a nice person doesn't give you standing with God. Just a few more names. Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies you. He makes us holy through the work that he did on the cross. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees or the Lord who provides. Now, certainly, if God does anything, folks, I'm telling you, he does provide. Have you found him to be that kind of a God? You pass through difficult times and here comes the Lord providing for you when you needed it. Maybe you were in need of food sometimes and somebody showed up and had bags of groceries with a blessing. That's Jehovah Jireh. Maybe there was a time in your life where you needed a ride somewhere and you didn't have any means of getting there, but somebody came and said, you were on my heart. I want to bless you. Jehovah Jireh. The protection that God provides, that's all encompassed in that. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ does. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's Jehovah Yireh, Jehovah Jireh, as we call him. Well, there was a story one time of a, of a lady who lived in Java. That's over by Indonesia on the island, the island of Java. And in the middle of the night, there's a knock on the door. She opens up the door. There's a half-naked Javanese man there. And he's there to tell her that over at the mosque, the Muslims are going to beat the drum at 2 a.m. And they're going to all assemble. And they're going to all go after all the Christians that live in the area. They're going to murder them. Said that the Chinese, or should say the Japanese, have been opposed to Christianity since World War II began on this island. And so the lady, she was just there with three other women and a little boy. There were no men because in 1942, when the war started, the Japanese had arrested all the men and put them in prison. So in the middle of the night, this woman is there with her mom, two other ladies and a little boy, and she's absolutely terrified because she knows that pretty soon the beating of the drum is going to start and she knows how those folks are. Now, just as the side Uh, track. Uh, Folks, this stuff still goes on today because when I went to Indonesia a few years ago to preach, there was a young minister that rode his bicycle no less than 45 miles one way to hear me preach one Sunday night. And he told me the story that his church was blown up by Muslims. They rebuilt it. It was blown up again by the Muslims. Folks, this is a dangerous world out there when you love Jesus. So the lady was with the other women. They gathered in the room and started praying. They didn't know what to pray. And this is what the Bible means when it says, Spirit of God, to help you to know what to pray. They didn't know what to pray, but the lady said it came to her mind 
that they need to pray for protection. Now, meanwhile, the drums have been beating. They could hear hundreds of people gathering and they're coming down the road and they've got torches and lanterns coming down the road where she's at. And so she gathered them ladies and said, we've got to pray. And said, there's a story in the Bible about the the, the, the people who were coming against uh, Elisha and Elisha prayed and asked God to smite them with blindness so they couldn't see. So she said, we need to pray that the God, that the Lord would hide us from them and they wouldn't even recognize the house where the God would, you know, preserve us. So they prayed that prayer. They, they, they got down in the corner of the house by a window and she could hear that mob coming down that alleyway. They're screaming and they're yelling, making all kinds of noise. And she had turned all the lights out in the house. And, and, the, and the one mother, she said she'd look up just to look out that window to see if anybody was coming. She saw one by one as they all went by. And when that final one passed by, she said she just began to rejoice. And they, they snuck out of that house and escaped. Now think about that. When it was all over... The Japanese had decided they better not permit any more disturbances like that on the island. They banned those kinds of protests. Now, you, you might hear a story like that and you might say, well, you know, that, that was just coincidental. It's a pretty fortuitous event, you know. But if you're the one in that house and you're praying, that's a miracle. See? That's a miracle for you because your, your life, you, you were this close to die. Let me finish up. We know for sure that when the Bible calls the Lord Jehovah Shalom, that he is peace. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. I give to you. And Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies, we know that's true. Jesus said when he was about to be crucified, he said, if I want to, I can call 12 legions of angels and bring them down here to deliver me. Now, you cannot know these stories that exist behind these names and be ashamed of God. But if you know what these names mean, you'll be bold and you'll be ready to do exploits in the name of God. The scripture says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Shame alludes to inferiority, guilt, and embarrassment. You don't need to be embarrassed about Jesus Christ. Jesus had never done anything over which we need to be embarrassed. If, if I was Buddhist, I wouldn't be a happy camper. I wouldn't want some big things sitting out there in front of my house all the time. Nothing attractive about that. If I was Muslim, I'd still be unhappy. How, how do I reconcile a grown man being married to an eight-year-old girl? I could never be that. But when I think about Jesus Christ, he never cussed. He never led anybody to war. He never did anything to hurt anybody. He never had to apologize for anything that he did or said. He's a man that went to Calvary in all of history, and everybody knows he died for something he didn't do. He was an innocent man. That's the kind of example that we have as Christians. The Bible says we should be bold in our faith. Humiliating the enemy certainly was one of the things that in ancient times was important because people wanted the enemy to know when he was defeated, he was really defeated. So Joshua 10 tells the story of 
Had them having defeated some kings, and they caught the kings, and you know what they did? They brought all the people of Israel together in that area, and they laid the kings down on the ground, and Joshua told his captains to come and put your feet on these defeated kings' necks. Then you know what Joshua said? So shall God do to all of Israel's enemies. Yeah. So God wants us to put our foot on the devil's neck. You said, how can we do that? By faith. Jesus died on the cross. He spoiled the powers and principalities. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Folk, don't allow any problem in your life to become bigger than the name of Jesus. Yeah. There's something magical about it. It's not a, it's not a four-leaf clover. It's not a... It's not an amulet, it's not a rabbit's foot, but I am telling you, it's a powerful name. It's not a name we take in vain. We don't just use it as a fill-in word for a cuss word. The name of Jesus is an important name. And we use it when we need something from the Lord or when we're worshiping him. So remember that, because it truly is a beautiful name. And I hope that from this day forward, Maybe you think about his name in a different way than you've ever thought about it before because it's a powerful name. Let's stand tonight. Just for a few moments before we depart, why don't we take a few moments just to worship the Lord and whisper that name, Jesus. Remember what the scripture says, whosoever, that means you, that means me, calls upon the name of the Lord shall be Saved, not just saved from sin, but rescued, delivered, redeemed, you know, brought out of any situation and whatever you possibly could be passing through. Remember that this week and mention that name because it is a powerful name. Demons tremble at the name of Jesus, the Bible says. For a few moments, let's just worship him. Father, we love you. We thank you for that mighty name of Jesus. It's so precious to us, Lord. It's a powerful name. Thank you, Lord, that when we call upon you, we can have the the confident expectation of favorable outcomes and results, Lord, because of the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we love you tonight. Jesus, your name means so much to us. Oh, thank you for redeeming us, for dying on the cross, Lord. Thank you that in the midst of any turmoil or trouble or problems this evening, Lord, you're in the process of rescuing us right now. We thank you for the victory ahead, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for loving us so. Thank you for being our healer, our savior, our deliverer, our friend. Thank you for being the king of kings and lord of lords the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus. Thank you for being our soon coming King and caring for us. Jesus' mighty name, oh God. Amen, 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 amen. Isn't it good to know the Lord?